some of the uh, stories my grandfather told were things that really had uh, some shaping influences in my life in terms of putting the Lord first in life and uh, trusting him and believing him and seeing his faithfulness and his provision and his care for us along the way. I don't know if any of you feel this way, but I sometimes look forward year by year, of course, being in leadership in a ministry. It's a small, smaller ministry. Uh, sometimes I think, how will we get through this next year financially and staff-wise and all the different things that are concerns? And uh, this will be our 30th year. Uh, interesting, hard to believe, so much time has gone by. Martinsdale Church had its fingerprints on the very first year of camp we had, so uh, it's been a long, long journey here. And we look back over all of the, the, uh, um, the years of, of the Lord's working, and as uh, was so well shared uh, this, just a moment ago in that beautiful song, God has been faithful all of those years. And what a, what a wonderful thing it is. But I, I look back in, in this congregation, of course this church has been a blessing to us as a ministry and even prior to that, and think about uh, the, the ways that God works through the faithfulness of his people. We are totally dependent on him. We're not here because, because we've been so faithful or anything. But as we walk with him, we see his, his goodness and his provision. I remember as a junior high student, um, uh, of course I had kind of had some roots in Martinsville Church, so I never really attended here as a kid. Uh, but I had a friend up on the east side of Des Moines, who, a young lady whose, whose family came from Martinsville also. And uh, we were in eighth grade, and the teacher there realized we were both Bible Christians, Bible-believing Christians, and he challenged us to debate on evolution versus creation. And of course, that was before there was a creation museum and a ton of material out on our side of the issue. And, um, but we, we took the, the uh, <laughs> however foolishly, we took the challenge and studied real hard for a week without too much material available. There's a little bit available back then. And, um, and uh, th- 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 some of you might know the Strand family, Linda Strand. Um, and Linda and I uh, debated the teacher. And it was uh, quite an interesting experience because we were very intimidated about it. And in the process, Linda became quite angry. You know, she's a little more, a little more emotional than I am sometimes. And uh, we, we had quite a time. But it was, it was a great challenge. And, and I look back to that, and I think both, both of us had some roots in the Martinsville Church. And so the only reason I share that is because over many years, God has used this, this uh, church to be such a blessing to so many people and planting churches and so many things. And, and I just want you to know that we're thankful for, uh, for your friendship and support and, and just the history of God's working here at Martinsville. It's good to be here this morning. And I wanted to share with you a little bit about, um, my challenge to you today is to be part of the story be part of the story. You know, God's Word gives us so many stories, real accounts of real people. I love those accounts. I love those stories. There's so many parallels to our lives and to our um, experiences as followers of Christ uh, throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, but especially in the Old Testament. And one of the things that really impressed us as we were thinking about this ministry, uh, Camp Appenus in its early stages, was, um, we, it was kind of interesting in a way, it was just an aside, we thought, we've got to have an interesting name. Two, two churches had owned the property that we were on, but not really developed it. One was the Federated Church in the morning. They called it Federated Camp. We thought, well, that's, that's okay, not real interesting, but okay. And the next church was Grace Baptist Church, and they called it Grace Camp. And again, there was no camp developed, just uh, soybean field when we came there. And um, 
I thought, well, grace is a wonderful thing and for us as believers, but um, uh, not really a unique or creative name in a sense for a youth camp. So we, we picked up the county name, Appanoose, uh, not realizing that some people in southern Iowa would think we must be some type of a county uh, welfare program or whatever, you know. <laughs> so we thought Appanoose was a neat name. And as we read about Chief Appanoose, we found that he was named that because he was chief as a child. Now, we don't exactly know what, that, what the history of that means, but just kind of free, free willing, <laughs> we said that just will be a reminder to us that God wants to do special things through kids' lives. And surely as you look back through the Old Testament um, and, and in the New Testament as well, God chose some very young uh, persons to, um, to be dynamically used by him. I think of the story of Daniel and Joseph and, and others. And he chose them and used them in some very special ways and their stories come down to us. We learned a long time ago, we write our own Bible program in the camp every summer. And uh, one of the things we usually start out every morning with is a little story. It's kind of a fun story. It's kind of sometimes kind of funny. Um, but it's a story that leads into our teaching every day. And many times it's a story of someone in the Bible because kids will connect with stories. And uh, so we, we enjoy that. And I think of the stories of Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua. And I'm skipping a whole bunch between all of these. And David and Josiah and Daniel and Isaiah. And the list goes on and on and on. And I remember... The history itself is God's story. It's his story. It's his story that he, has, he is writing. And our challenge as followers of Christ, I believe, is to be part of the story. I want to just kind of focus on that a little bit this morning because there's a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 6, probably not a new one to most of you, um, but a passage of Scripture that so well envelops what we, we endeavor to be as a ministry and what I trust Martinsdale Church and any follower of Christ wants to be in terms of uh, following God's story and being a part of history, a part of God's story that goes on and on. So remember that history is his story, okay? That's easy enough. And um, uh, I want to look at several things. Let's take our Bibles and turn this morning to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think we'll read the entire passage. It's on the back of your, your little outline there, if you would like. And um, we'll read the passage. And I want to look back at four quick thoughts from uh, that passage that I think are applicable in each of our lives. If you are a new creation in Christ, if you have been redeemed through the, 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 the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, um, you are, according to Ephesians 2.10, God's workmanship. He is working in your life. Uh, I, I like the, the Greek word there. I'm not a, a good Greek student, but the, the word poema, which speaks of the fact that we are, um, we are God's creation, special creation. We're like his work of art, you know? And I know some Christian people who probably don't look real artsy and maybe don't act real artsy all the time, but we need to understand it from God's perspective. He is making us as part of his story, and I want to be a part of his story. I want to be a good part of his story. I don't want to be resisting him all the way, you know, with all kinds of uh, uh, little roadblocks along the way. I want to be a part of God's story, and I trust you do too. And so we're going to look at that and think about that a little bit this morning. And I trust you're living out his story in your life. You know, one of the things I'll actually mention a couple times this morning uh, that I think it was an illustration of this is the whole, um, you know, the TV dinner. I don't know, I haven't bought one in a long, long time 
with all the little compartments, you know. And you've got your vegetable over here and your main course here and your dessert over here and whatever, you know. And I think a lot of Christians want to live their lives that way. You know, we, we've got our, our um, just talked to someone just the other day. Well, I, I do some really religious things, okay? <laughs> that, that's that compartment over there. And then I have my work over here and stuff I do at home and whatever, you know. And really, from God's perspective, it isn't that way. You know, it all goes together. It's all part of the same thing. I've had quite a few, as you know, foster kids in my home. And some of them, we've got one right now who does not like, no one here, no one sitting here, who doesn't like having any, well, wait a minute, I'll, I'll take that back. Doesn't like to have <laughs> the food mixed at all on the plate, you know. It's all got to be separate. And, um, but, you know, um, that's okay. Th- those are preferences that aren't really important one way or the other. But um, as Christians, as we live our lives, there's not just this little compartment over here that's religious and here's my volunteer work and this is my profession and whatever, you know. It all goes together because God is interested in whole people. And so... Um, Our lives aren't fragmented, but all of life has a purpose, and that purpose is that we would glorify God, that we would reflect his image, that we would be those image bearers of our God on this earth. Now, what a calling in life, you know? What a reason to have meaning and purpose in life when we think of it that way. Isn't that exciting? It is to me. Let's read together uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses uh, 1 through 15, and you can follow along in your Bible. Now this is a commandment. Remember this is Moses speaking. Deuteronomy is kind of the re- recapping of the law of the first four, four books of the Bible. Moses brings it together under the direction of the Holy Spirit and uh, brings it together and really sorts out what's, uh, what's important. A lot of times uh, in the scriptures we see that. We see um, different accounts and God uh, uh, brings it together in a way that uh, helps us to summarize or capsulize and understand. And this is what Moses was doing. And in Deuteronomy, uh, a number of times, he speaks of the importance of carrying on the story, the message that God has given us. And so he writes here in the sixth chapter, now this is a commandment, the statutes and the rules that, your Lord, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our... I'm sorry, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, 
and he destroy you from the, off the face of the earth. And so uh, we look at this passage and, and the great reminder that we have here, I believe, to be a part of God's story. God's story is something that's intended to span the generations. You know, I don't know about you, but I, once in a while my mind wanders to what it'll be like in heaven. And you know, there are people that we have read about all of our lives and we'll be able to perhaps to converse with them, to know, know them in, in a different way, you know? Because that story is always a story of God's grace, of God's faithfulness, of his sovereignty, of the fact that he is always, always to be trusted, you know? I find, the older I get, I find the, the less and less people in our culture you can really trust, you can really know that they're telling you the truth. Don't you find that to be increasingly true in our culture, in our society? But to know that God is always trustworthy. And you and I have the responsibility to pass on the truth that God has given us. This is written more in a political sense, but Ronald Reagan, who many of us remember as president, wrote, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We did not pass it along to our children in our bloodstream. It must be fought for and protected and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. And you know, we could translate that over to our spiritual heritage, I believe, because as I experience life here, right here in Iowa, the Midwest, in some ways a little more protected part of the country, maybe insulated from what happens on the coast, but not insulated forever because it ends up coming here as well. Um, I watch more and more the illiteracy of Scripture in our culture. I watch more and more young people, good young people, who want to serve the Lord, who come to us and don't know very much at all about the Bible. We're so thankful for Daniel and Jeremy, we've tried to put together in the last few years, a, it's a three-year course, and it's kind of geared toward young adults and our staff. And uh, hopefully as we complete this thing, we'll be able to get it out to others, and there'll be perhaps even some college students who would come and be a part of it, because we recognize the need to better ground young people in the truths of Scripture. So important, so important. But anyway... Ronald Reagan saw it in terms of our, our, our American heritage. We appreciate that. But we as Christians have an even greater heritage, heritage in Christ, not dependent on the political climate and all these other things that go on here, but dependent on, on, on our God. And so Moses was writing. And if you remember, he was writing after the Exodus. they just come through this great time of national salvation, which is in so many ways paralleled to our salvation throughout the Bible. A uh, very significant thing that had taken place. And they were getting ready for, um, uh, to enter, in a sense, the kingdom, the promised land. Uh, they were to be a theocracy, and, and gradually they were not very faithful as a theocracy. And they wanted a king, and they became a monarchy. Still some of the theocracy, supposedly. And yet uh, a, t- uh, a history of, 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 uh, of a lot of uh, unfaithfulness along the way. And, and uh, Moses was writing these people. They'd been a slave class. They'd been a slave class. They were relishing their freedoms in some way, but they also were resenting the responsibilities that those freedoms brought with them. And Moses was telling them that they had a responsibility because of what God had done in their lives. They had a responsibility to tell the story, 
to be part of the story, to tell the story. And, and I think that the same could be said of every one of us. If we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's the only way, then we have a responsibility to be part of the story, to be telling the story, to be passing it on to our children and our grandchildren, our neighbors, and, and whoever else uh, we have opportunity to pass it on to. We need to be part of the story. We need to tell the story. And Moses gives us a reason here in these first few verses. He says, first of all, the reason we need to be telling the story is that so the generations that come would learn to fear the Lord your God. Learn to fear the Lord your God. Now we often in the Christian world are quick to say, this doesn't mean that we're supposed to be in a um, uh, spooky way afraid of God, okay? But it's that we're to reverence him and respect him and trust him. And I, I would agree with that. But I'm also reminded of the fact that the Bible says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And what a cause that ought to be, not only to reverence and to respect him, but in a, in a, in a certain sense, I believe in a holy sense, to fear him as well. And um, how important it is to uh, have the fear of the Lord in our lives. Most of us learn, many of us learn the fear of the Lord by first of all learning the fear of our parents, okay? <laughs> I remember when I was young and um, we had a, a family construction business and you know I'd learned to do a lot of things and I knew what the expectations were and we had a picket fence uh, around part of our yard. How many of you had, grew up in a house that had a picket fence? How many of you had to paint the picket fence at some point? In, in the <laughs> not very many of you, okay. You guys have missed out. And <laughs> there's no more boring job in the world than painting the picket fence, okay? Especially the way my dad wanted it painted because he wanted all sides of the board painted. He wanted paint soaked up from the bottom of the pickets, okay? So it was supposed to be really well done. And I went out and looked at it and I thought, oh, you know, paint the fronts of those pickets and, and that's, that's good enough. And <laughs> until my dad got home. And he was not happy at all. In fact, that's putting it very mildly. <laughs> and I learned to fear my dad if I hadn't done the job correctly or had tried to get by doing something that was, he would call it half-baked, okay? <laughs> and uh, so there is that, okay? And we have to instill, well, we want our kids to trust in the Lord. We want them to know the... Um, the uh, extent of our salvation, we also have to train them and teach them to fear the Lord, to realize that it's an awful thing to face God if we are not right with him. And so anyway, uh, he says, first of all, that they would pass on, that they would fear the Lord, their God. And then secondly, it talks about consistency here, okay? Um, he says that it may be well that you may fear the Lord your God and your son, your son's son, by keeping his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. Oh, that, that you might do that all the days of your life, that your days may be long, okay? And so there's a consistency there, okay? This is, thing isn't just a little religious thing we do for a year or two in our lives, but it's that we might be consistent, lifelong, all of his statutes, obedience, all the days of our lives. What a wonderful thing it is to grow in the Lord as a Christian. Some of you have probably been saved for a long time. And, you know, we never quit growing. I remember my, my grandfather, who I often refer to, and, um, you know, he came one time to me when he was probably in his 70s and said, you know, Pat, I want to keep, keep growing in my life. 
He said, would you tell me if you see something inconsistent or wrong in my life? And of course, I was a little intimidated by that. I thought, well, I, I don't know how I would ever tell you, but, <laughs> but you know, I thought then, I thought that's what I want to be in my life. You know, I want to always be ready for the Lord to change something or uh, convict me of something or nurture me along in growth in my life. And, and I hope that you're there too, you know. I want that. Um, I used to tell my church when I was pastoring, I said, you know, I, I want to be faithful in teaching the Word of God, but don't ever think that if you see something that's not correct or if I tell you wrongly, that you can't come to me and tell me because it's the Word of God that's our, that, that, that's our judge, not my opinion or my thought or whatever. We need to grow, and we want God's Word to produce the story, to produce consistency in our lives, all the days of our lives. I love Psalm 37, one of my favorite psalms. I love Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, okay? 3, 7, or 7, 3. And um, uh, in Psalm 37, verse 3, it says that we are to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness in our lives. I share that with my kids a lot, that, you know, we, we talk about great things we want to do, and, you know, as we get a passion to serve the Lord and we want to uh, preach the gospel, or we want to, you know, go to uh, Bula Bula Land or whatever, you know, <laughs> might be our, our, our desires. And, and those things are wonderful, but, you know, God also wants us to be faithful day by day, you know. And there are things that aren't very glamorous, you know, just doing the laundry and doing the chores and doing our schoolwork and different parts of our job, you know. I remember one time a missionary friend of mine said, you know, people think that it's a wonderful thing to be a missionary, and it is, but they don't realize that there's just a lot we do out here. This is in a kind of a primitive area. There's a lot we do out here just to live, you know, just to live in this environment. And, and uh, God calls us to faithfulness, whatever, you know, whatever our responsibilities are in life, he wants us to be faithful. And so um, uh, Moses writes here that you might do this all of the days of your life and that your days may be long. God's desire for us, his purpose for passing on the story is that we would be consistent throughout the days of our lives. And then he gives kind of a promise or result in that. And this is not prosperity gospel stuff at all. It's a general principle of life. We know godly people who, of course, grow at a, uh, uh, who pass away at a young age. And we know some ungodly people who grow, live to be very old. So it's not a, it's not a, a law so much. It's a, a general principle. And he says uh, that your days might be prolonged in the land, that you multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And so he says here, why do we pass these things on? It's that our days may go well. And we can certainly know in a general sense that our nation and other nations of the world, as they have followed the truth of God's word, have been blessed. Have been blessed many times over. So he says, I want you to have quality days. I want you to have a measure of, of health. I want you to have to prosper and to multiply. And, and those of you who are parents here, I know that you think about that with your children. You want them to be healthy. You want them to uh, live a prosperous life. It's not that you want them to be exceedingly rich. That's not the point. You want them to be all that God made them to be. And so that they would prosper and multiply. And then Moses um, says, uh, you just see the heart of Moses. He says, here therefore, Israel, be careful to do them. Oh, Israel, be careful to do them that it may go well with you. Don't you think that as a parent sometimes? Perhaps you're involved as a spiritual parent with people you care about. You want to see them follow the Lord. And it's your heart's desire to see that happen in their lives. So important. And so history is God's story. It's his story. 
And his story is intended to span the generations. And it doesn't really get old. But I want to move on. There are a number of things I want to look at quickly this morning. Secondly, his story expresses foundational truth. All that we tell is not a story about us. It's not a story about our nation, our culture, our, um, our families, and so on. I remember a guy uh, who worked at camp a few years ago, he said to me, well, what, where do you come from? I said, well, I was born here in the United States. Well, I mean, where does your family come from? I said, I don't know, probably all over. I said, we were you know, generations here in the United States. But, well, what's your heritage? I said, well, I'm an American. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of boring, right? <laughs> uh, but um, our stories as Christians go back to foundational truths. They don't go back to some other part of the world or whatever, but they go back to some foundational truths and um, not a simple narrative about us, but it's a matter of how, who God is and how he's working things out in our lives. And so he says here, this great statement of scripture, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, four, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And I, I think, I have to confess, that there were probably years of my life when I kind of passed over that, and I thought, well, that's, that's assumed, that I know, you know. But to Israel, that was their call to worship. That's how they came together, to worship God, was to recognize his unity and his person, and how important that was. And, of course, they lived in a culture that worshipped many gods and spirits. And there are many aboriginal cultures around the world that do that. And it was great news to know that God is one. That he is knowable. In a sense, we are the finite touching the infinite. Okay? And we can, in a measured way, we can know him through his word. And so uh, Moses said, uh, Hear this, O Israel. The Lord is our God, and he is one. And you and I have the same message today. We think, well, a lot of Americans believe that, even if they're not really believers. They'd say, ah, oh, there's one God. But increasingly, it's not so in our country. Increasingly, it's not so in our country. And uh, we have a message because God is one, and he is knowable, and he's consistent, and he's always true, and he's dependable, and he's sovereign, and he has a plan for this world. Yes, there are a lot of things that certainly are not glorifying to him that would not appear to be part of his plan, but, but he still has a plan and he's a sovereign God and he will accomplish it in his time, in his way. He is one God. God is one. And there's a lot that we could, could build on that. Science itself is based on the truth that there's one God who made everything and it's dependable. That's why we have laws of science and he has revealed himself to us. What a wonderful truth. And then he says, our response to that, he says, um, and God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. God is entitled to our love. I was at the Wheaton College Bookstore a few months, a couple months ago, and I saw a book that caught my attention. It's called The Entitlement Cure. I don't know if any of you read, maybe some of you read the book, I don't know. But uh, I, haven't, I haven't finished it yet, but I uh, intend to someday, soon. <laughs> but I, I, I began to read it because I thought, you know, this is what we're facing all over our culture today our, with our kids, our young people, um, this sense of entitlement that, that is there, you know, and it's being taught. And I remember one of my foster sons who uh, wanted to follow the Lord, and he had decided to go to Christian college in Grand Rapids. And, and um, uh, you know, and I talked to him a lot about saving money and working hard and trying to be, um, you know, as prepared as he could be to go to college. And, 
and a, a social worker, a good friend of ours, you know, who works in the system, we encounter her from time to time, came and sat down on the hearth of our fireplace, and she said to him, she said, you know, um, I want you to know that you have a right to go to any college you want to go to. And don't worry about what it costs, because that's the responsibility of the financial people to take care of that. And I thought, oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> Here's an exact contra- contradiction to everything I've been saying here at home. But anyway, uh, and he did go to that college, and he did rack up a bill, and took a long time paying it off, okay? But um, uh, nevertheless, uh, this entitlement thing. But you know what? God is entitled to our love. He is entitled to our love. And I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes... I would hardly want to talk about my love for God because his love for me is so much greater. I remember I was listening to a speaker in our uh, Christian Camp Conference Association a few years ago, and he came in, and the, his first statement was, I think that I do not love the Lord. And, um, of course, that got everybody's attention, you know. <laughs> and he went on to talk about how God's love for us is so great. Our love, our love for him is a responsive love and, and something that falls so far short of his love that sometimes we think that we do not love the Lord, you know. But nevertheless, he is entitled to all of our love. We owe him everything. He has provided for us. You ever hear the little analogy, the dog people and the cat people, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into the dog and cat thing. Some of you like cats, some of you like dogs. We're, we're dog people in our house. We have three or four cats that seem to hang around all the time. But... Um, not in the house. The dog gets the privilege of coming in. <laughs> but I'm sorry. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but dog people, he feeds me. He waters me. He protects me. He provides for me. He must be God. And the cat people, he feeds me. He watches me. He protects me. He, he provides for me. I must be God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, whether you like dogs or cats, I hope you're a dog person here today. <laughs> so, okay. So, God is entitled to our love. And then, uh, last of all, His Word is to be taken to our heart. And this is the last, uh, this little part. <laughs> His Word is to be taken to our hearts, okay? Um, and we've talked about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And we know how important it is to have God's Word in our hearts. And um, I find that I have to discipline myself to have God's Word in my heart, okay? I just talked to a young guy who used to work at the camp, and he's a pastor now, and he said, uh, told me about um, how much he was in the Word as, as a pastor, and then he had a little break there where he, he um, worked in another uh, job for a while to support his family and a couple things. And, and he said, you know, I just found that it was harder for me to get into the Word every day the way I had been, and I missed that. And now he's back as a pastorate, and I was actually just in his office uh, Friday, and uh, uh, commenting on the fact the first time he had a really nice office, really nice place to study and kind of organize his stuff, and he was talking about what a blessing that was. And how we were talking about the fact that we have, to, we have to discipline ourselves to be in the Word of God because sometimes, at least at certain seasons in our lives, um, there are so many distractions, and we don't um, often uh, find it easy to, to, to be faithful and consistent in that way. But the challenge is there, and, and I believe it's worth it, and it's important. We love him as we spend time with him, you know? I've had the opportunity in my lifetime to foster, I don't know, 40, 50 uh, kids, and um, uh, some of them for just a few months at a time, and uh, others for some years, and maybe they're growing up times. And, and I find sometimes I can be real irrit- irritated with different, you know, practices or different uh, habits and so on, and 
and all of those things. And, but sometimes when I get one-on-one, even with one of the kids, it really irritates me sometimes. <laughs> I get one-on-one, we have a good time because we spend some time together. We share some things together, you know. And, but that's the way it is with the Lord, you know. Uh, the more we spend time with him, the more we lo- learn to love him. And that's so important in our lives. The, the hymn writer wrote, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to hear thy praise, to sing thy praise. And that's what we need in our lives. That's why we spend time in God's word, because we need to have our hearts tuned to sing God's praise, to reflect his glory, to be what, what he made us to be. His story expresses foundational truths. So important. I want to quickly move on, and probably won't get through everything this morning. That's okay. This is, this is really the practical part, the important part. His story is to be fleshed out daily. We use this so often in our, in our camp programs. Uh, he says, these words shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them. And remember, that has to come first, okay? You as a parent, Sunday school teacher, mentor, whatever you are, first of all, God's word has to be on your heart, okay? I, I, if I ever get a chance, I have a book I want to write on, on mentoring. It's kind of like discipleship, but it's a little, little different twist on it. And I have five things that I think are really important in this area. And, uh, but it comes back to the fact that, first of all, God's word has to be on our hearts. And we won't effectively serve him until his word is on our hearts. And so anyway, um, he says here, You shall teach these things diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Uh, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, a couple things here. How is God's word to be fleshed out in our daily living? How is the story to be told to our children and our grandchildren and our neighbor kids and the kids who come to the Bible club we lead and the kids who come to Awana and the kids who come to our Sunday school and on and on and on, okay? The kids who come across our paths in various ways and the people. And by the way, there are kids in God's economy who are probably in their 80s. There's an older man in the church we attend down in southern Iowa who uh, began to follow the Lord when he was probably about 70 and has a real passion for the things of the Lord. And he's spiritually a kid, you know, good kid, growing in the Lord. His wife hasn't yet come to faith. But, uh, um, but anyway, um, so how do, we, how do we pass these things on? Well, first of all, Moses said, you should do it diligently. I like the word passionately, okay? passionately. And I really believe that as Christians, as we follow Christ, as we grow in our knowledge of his word and our, our, our knowledge of his working in our lives, watching his story played out in our lives, that it ought to engender a, a, a sense of passion or diligence, whichever word you want to use. Never letting up. Paul said to, to Timothy, to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And, and I think sometimes we think of this, Paul telling Timothy, young preacher boy, if you want to call him that, uh, preach the word. And we, we kind of write off, well, that's, that's a responsibility Timothy had. But I really believe it applies to all of us as Christians. Preaching is proclaiming the word of God. And, you know, uh, we don't all do it from this kind of a, a platform or behind this type of a stand. But we do it every day in our lives as we, as we share with people, sometimes in a kind of a quiet and kind way, you know. Um, I've worked a lot in my life with different uh, public agencies, social service and so on. I actually began um, 
working in that area as a chaplain in the Los Angeles County Probation Department. And so it's working in, in public administration. And I learned, you know, I couldn't always proclaim the truth uh, in the same bold way that we might do it here on Sunday morning. But we, we still proclaim it, you know, as we have opportunity. We share things, sometimes little bits of things that will, uh, God will use. And God does use those things in our lives. I was just talking to a young guy who called me, uh, was actually in our juvenile halls uh, out there, uh, really angry, bigger than me, <laughs> at 16, 17 years of age. And uh, he was so angry that no one in the county staff wanted to go in and see him and talk to him. And so I volunteered to go down and see him and talk to him. And he had, was in, in juvenile hall because he had taken a log chain and broken out someone's uh, pickup truck window because they'd stolen his, his weed. And um, so I started to talk to him. Well, he immediately told me that he was Catholic and he didn't want to talk to me. So I thought, well... Um, okay, <laughs> but I kept going back and visiting with him. Gradually, the you know the walls broke down a little bit. I was able to share a little bit uh, about the things of the Lord, and and uh, then interestingly enough, he's from a very large Mexican family, about twelve kids. Well, there were twelve kids, and um, one of his older brothers was saved. His older brother had opportunity to lead him to Christ, but he calls me every now and then because God gave me the opportunity to share a few things. It wasn't that he. Uh, was turned around immediately, but um, wasn't that uh, salvation, at least from my understanding, took place at that time. But God gives us those opportunities to share little bits, and that's preaching the word. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, do it in season, out of season. In other words, be ready all the time to share the truth. And we can't do that unless we're in the word, okay? So important in our lives. And then he says, consistently, all the time, as you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you rise up, okay? If I calculate it correctly, that covers about the whole thing, okay? Except for talking in your sleep. And <laughs> I don't know if you want to record that or not. So I had a friend in college who talked in his sleep, a roommate who talked in his sleep. And he started out one year, was going to find his wife that year. And he had made a list of, I don't know, 15, 20 girls he wanted to meet and get acquainted with all possible. And I teased him to no end about that. And, of course, I'd tell him different things he said in his sleep. He did talk in his sleep. He never talked about these girls. But I'd tell him different things that... <laughs> oh, let's see. I guess we're supposed to be honest, right? <laughs> but anyway, he says, as you sit in your home, as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you rise up. Again, our faith isn't that TV dinner kind of thing, okay? It permeates every part of our lives. And you're sitting here as a, as a parent, as a grandparent, thinking, oh, but how often I fail. How often I lose my temper with the kids. Or how often I um, tell them I'll do something and I just, it doesn't work out. Don't, don't get it done and so on. But you see, part of that um, being consistent is not our perfection. It's our honesty, you know? It's our honesty. And I found that sometimes one of the richest times with the kids in my home have been times when I had to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't, do what I said I would do, you know. And they're probably sitting here thinking, well, two, two of them here. <laughs> probably sitting here thinking, you should need to do that more often, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, but it's a matter of honesty, okay? That's part of communication as well, because communicating the truth is not us up here and everybody around us down here, and we are proclaiming it to them. It's living it out in our lives and being willing to be vulnerable and sometimes to have to apologize, Okay? And so anyway, consistently, throughout the day, that's real life, okay? That's real life. And then he says to do it what I would call methodically. Methodically. He says, 
You should bind these as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And of course, the problem with the, in the Hebrew culture was that they took this as a, as a legalistic thing and they became very legalistic about it. And uh, they did those things. They'd put them on their forehead and, and on their hands and so on, different verses of scripture and, and so on. And then uh, they post them around. Well, that wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was kind of ridiculous. Because what is God saying there? He's saying, she'll be on your, on your mind and on your hands. The things you think about begin to understand life from God's perspective. We talk a little, lot anymore about Christian worldview, okay? Uh, biblical worldview. Begin to understand life and its issues from a perspective of Scripture. So important in our lives. And so we understand it. And then we work that out in our lives. You know, why do we do it this way? Okay? Why do we do this this way in our home? We don't do it this way in our home because this is a law that God has set down, but this is the way we are consistent with God's principles and with his truth. And the way we are consistent with it may not be the same way you are consistent with it, okay? Because we each have our individual homes and families, and the principles are always true. The truths of God's word are always true, and they're consistent. The way we work them out is... Um, as unique as you and I are as God's creation. And so we do it consistently all the time. We do it methodically. We remember God's word. We memorize. There's a place for memorizing God's word. And, you know, I, I'd have to say I'm, I'm kind of put to shame sometimes when I look back and, and realize how little scripture I've memorized as an adult. So much of the scripture that I have memorized, I memorized as a young person. And we can give all kinds of excuses and say, well, we remember it better when we're younger. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. But, uh, but don't discount Awana. <laughs> Memorizing God's word is so important. And, you know, I, I, I think it's so important to have that in our, in our hearts, in our minds, worked out in our actions. And then he says, in your home, for the same reasons, in our home. Why do we live this way? Why do we do this? We do it because of the principles of God's word. His story is to be fleshed out daily in our lives. One of the things I love about camp ministry when kids come to camp, they live with us for a week. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect, you know. But it's our opportunity to be real. It's our opportunity to communicate truth to a little group of kids. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, however many uh, we have, depending on the attendance that week and so on. But to communicate truth to, to some kids and to do it in a real life context. To do it in a way that maybe you can bring some application into the line up for, for meals or bring some application as we're waiting to ride horses or play a game or the way we respond to a game. And, and um, it's, it's an opportunity to flesh out the truth in so many ways. Okay, I want to quickly, just in closing, our time is up. Uh, God's story is to be remembered, especially in good times. Especially in good times. How easy it is when we have um, enjoyed the blessings of God to forget who gave those blessings. And so I won't take time to read it, but um, the, uh, uh, Moses says that it talks about those blessings that are given to us that are undeserved. You and I have been given so much that we don't deserve. God has been so good to us, so gracious. I was talking to one of my boys a few years ago, and, and he, I said to him something about, well, when the Lord prospers us, we'll do such and such. And he looked at me, and I appreciated this. He said, Dad, God has already prospered us. He may prosper us more, 
but uh, he has already prospered us. And I stopped and I thought about it and I thought, in so many ways, that's true. And I forget it sometimes. Undeserved blessings, unmerited redemption. He delivered Israel out of Egypt and how quickly they complained and forgot about his miracles and his goodness and, and all of those things. And, and yet he delivered them and they forgot. And his glory is unshared. It's to be unshared. We are here to glorify him and him alone. i get give you a couple takeaways here. Because God has called you to be part of the story. I really believe that. First of all, God has given us responsibility in passing on truth, the story. Okay? I believe it's a responsibility we have to pass on truth. How we do that? There are millions of ways, probably. But we do it faithfully. Secondly, our story must be God-centered, truth-centered. It's not about us. Okay? Our story needs to be God-centered and truth-centered. It's not about us. And third, blessings must never replace their source. Okay? Blessings must not get in the way of their source. So we need to remember that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege of living life with all of its trials and challenges to living life and being a part of your story. And help us, Lord, to more effectively be part of your story. Help us to remember that it's about you. It's not about us. It's really about you. And may we be faithful, Lord, in passing that story on to the generations who follow us. I just thank you, Lord, for each person gathered in this room. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to each of our hearts and cause us to follow you closely in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.